Scorpio International Holding Company, LLC, here on Republic Broadcasting Network. And before we get started, I'd just like to remind everyone out there, please do what you can to keep Republic Broadcasting Network on the air. Uh, It takes money to keep the servers going and uh, to get some equipment updates and just basic expenses uh, to keep this network running. So please do what you can. Go on the website and try to don- donate monthly. That would be the best way to do it if, if you are able. So that said, I would like to bring on my guest, Steve from the UK or UK Steve. And uh, Steve, uh, how are you, sir? Uh, I'm doing okay. Thank you, Scorpio. Can you hear me clearly? I can indeed, sir. And, you know, it's pretty funny. Uh, we actually met... Uh, what, back in 2008 or so, uh, on a pretty obscure um, website uh, called The Information Underground, run by Ogner. I don't know if anyone out there remembers that, but it was uh, one of the first anti-Jewish power forums on the net. Uh, Very interesting place, and uh, we've kind of been in communication since then. And Steve... uh, Maybe you can just give a little background on yourself uh, for the listeners out there who might not know you. But I, I would also like you to tell your story about how you released the names of the most powerful bankers in the world on the net. You released all of the names, and then some strange things happened to you afterwards in the aftermath. So maybe you could uh, give, give us a little uh, story about that, sir. Um, okay. Um, back in the day... Um, I started out as a conspiracy theorist on 9-11. I'd been before that into the New Age filth, I guess, of Robert Anton Wilson. But when I started to watch The Money Masters, when I saw that 9-11, and I agreed with Thierry Messon that the Pentagon was hit by a missile and not a plane, I started to question the Twin Towers narrative and Building 7. Um, so I spent a couple of years doing that on Consen as well, which was one of the oldest BitTorrent tracker sites on the internet. And I guess it was a golden age for the conspiracy world because we could cross-reference resources for the first time effectively um, without government censorship. So I think that was like a key period, really, the formula- formulation of the independent alternative media or distant media. 
um, and a lot of factions were fighting it out at the time. But the one truth, and they say truth finds a way, it's the Jews. And I think following that and having a respect for the truth, people will naturally progress along uh, a literature of giants in the past who stood up against Jewish bankers. And I, I kind of felt that calling. So once you knew it was Jewish bankers, you could explain all these events that were going on in the world and why. And you'd have predictive value of doing that. Um, slowly but surely, as you go through the, the information that was on consent, you bump into the protocols, you start to question the Holocaust, you look at the history of Zionism and indeed Judaism and the Talmud. Um, and it's quite an awakening. I, I do think that period in the early internet phase of uh, torrent trackers was a golden age, really, for information because the government started to lose control. The government started to lose control of the narrative because it didn't have the sole ownership of the information outlets. Indeed, we see since then just how much the Jews have doubled down in sense of consolidating and centralizing power within the media how few owners on one hand own most of the American media, for one. Um, so it, it was a privilege, really, to be part of a revolutionary scene, um, at least in, at that time in the information scene, because there were so few people. Everybody went along with the government narrative. Um, there was no justice for all those firefighters and civilians who died in those buildings. And the Jewish bankers that were in there, they evac'd before the planes hit and apparently brought them down. I do believe it was controlled demolitions. Um, and then a splinter sect from Konsen broke off and became TRU, where it's the Jews. It's not these Egyptians or British Israelites, really. It's Talmudic Orthodox rabbis and Jewish family offices following the Talmud and devil worship. Those are the people practicing usury and international predatory capital. Um, satanic in that outlook patient, methodical, with a 100-year plan. Um, and only via following that route were we able to understand the nature of our enemy for the first time. So I think that kind of heralded the apocalypse, the apocalypse translated as the revealing. It was the unmasking of the enemy in a personal sense and for the scene and later larger groups <coughs> when it became kitsch on the internet with social platforms like Telegram. But back then, we didn't have that, and um, it was kind of a, a revealing. So I always consider myself a conspiracy theorist and part of a scene that overlaps with revisionism and ethno-nationalism. Um, and I kind of moved with TIU. I moved against uh, certain people like the bankers and pedos. So there was a law action brought against TIU because we'd exposed some pedophile in landmark education, which was a Jewish cult at the time, self-improvement cult. We have to pay thousands of pounds to be part of it. Um, and then we were really sort of targeting people and making people aware of the movers and shakers of the time who were moving with the neocon agenda for the expansion within the oil regions of the Middle East, all these wars for Israel, where we're fighting an endless war for Israel's borders not just the, the US, but the UK and other countries as well, the Coalition of the Willing. Born out, by the way, <clears throat> when it turns out there was no weapons of mass destruction. Now, it was all a lie. But unlike the normies, 
people like me and you, Scorpio, and, and RBN. I mean, I I started out just calling in from RBN because they were on Shoutcast at the time on Winamp. And um, Dr. Heshem Talawi, I used to speak up. John Statmel, I used to speak to. MCP, I used to speak to. Um, and none of them um, were as stupid as what they were over here. They were informed. They knew what was going on. And they knew who the enemy was. And they allowed us the privilege of free speech to name that enemy. Even Statmiller. Whereas in the UK, there was absolute blanket silence. And it produced deluded juvenile normies um, who were uninformed. So they knew they were being lied to. But their own conditioning prevented them from understanding what it was. And I think maybe today it's a bit more, I think, with the advent of Gaza, people are, it's, it's okay now to criticise the Jew because they're genociding people too. But back then, um, you could be um, counter-Jewish. You'd be just be labelled as anti-Semitic and your whole life destroyed, which is what happened with me. So, you know, after being on a few years, this is 2004, after being on there a few years, and obviously meeting you and other people on there, Scorpio, people like Latin American View, I remember. Ogni, I'm still doing shows with, and I do an all-Irish roundtable, an all-Irish roundtable once a month um, on my show, UK Steve Table Talk and Telegram. Um, I'm hoping to do an all-Northern roundtable as well this month, but I'm actually on sabbatical, so I've been reading books, Scorpio, I'm actually... Well, well, Steve, how did you come to, you know, um, compile the names of the major bankers and then you released it on the Internet? And then tell us, give us a, a description of what happened in your life after you did this. What were the repercussions for you personally? Well, I was doing a lot of shows at the time as well. So I was doing my own podcast and... We were focusing on like the, the Kazarian 2.0 connection of Ashkenaz in Turkey and the Black Sea. And I was focusing on Akhenaten as Moses. It was like another discovery and how Jewish patriarchs are actually certain Hyksos pharaohs. And then I started to hit the money. I thought, well, I wanted to build a website called Wikibanker. And I wanted the public to be able to dox every single banker on the planet, where they live, their email address, who works for them, pictures, their satellite pictures of their house, mug shots, their family, uh, their offices where they worked, the people who worked for them. Um, so I went around every single bank on the planet, central bank on the planet. So there, there must have been about over 280 at least. And a lot of the uh, global banks, like the IMF, got the Clearinghouse Bank, the BIS. Um, so I included those as well. And it was surprisingly easy to go around their websites. And they had entire staff lists at the time because they were so complacent, the bankers. Um, they, I think they stopped doing this practice though now because of that. But I went around every single central banker and I ripped every staff list of every central banker running those banks at that time. And I released, released a second edition the following year. So I, I wanted to release a yearly doxing report of who the bankers were, their email addresses, phone numbers, and where they lived, their families, who they worked for, people who they worked for, 
people work for them, where they live, mug shots, etc. Um, and I released that, and I think he was, <clears throat> I think he was um, like over a hundred pages long or something like that, about one hundred and fourteen pages long. It, it was quite a big document. Um, and at that time, um, it went viral, and it, I think when I left it on this the second edition, it had quarter of a million views. So I was spreading around the mug shots and <coughs> addresses, names and addresses and phone numbers of every banker. Um, now, I was being active in the sense of I, I, I wanted to, I was going to Ireland and I do visit Ireland a lot because I have Republican brothers over there. They're my blood at the end of the day. Um, so I was increasingly concerned as to following money, how Ireland was being subsumed by the EU and what that would mean in terms of immigration and, for me, as Leeds Irish, for my people. I now know the consequences of that today. Maybe talk about that. Um, so I, I went to a few protests with, uh, with a TIU banner, I was at the Bank of England riots, so I was trying to break into the banks and destroy the Bank of England with, I think it was maybe 5,000 other people, some of which were black block, etc. So there's a lot of coin intel there, there's a lot of agent provocateurs. There was some, like, I guess, legitimate uh, protest there. After all, it's the Bank of England. But I came later, retrospectively, to understand that it, that it was a bit more theatre, it was a bit more orchestrated, because the the result had already been pre-planned. It wasn't like a spontaneous uprising with planning where they'd hit every cash machine around London and every bank around London, that kind of thing. No, not at all. It was just an exercise to create a stage of theatre where 5,000 people would be killed by 25,000 cops, beaten senseless, gassed, all the rest of it. And there was blood everywhere on the front lines. I was right there on the front lines with my banner. Um, and eventually we broke in through the front doors of the Bank of England. I think this was around 2008, I think, Scorpio. Um, and they, there was a load of cops with red and white checkered hats with machine guns, and they shoved them in everybody's faces, and they said, one more step and we'll shoot you all. And that was... That was pretty much the last political action that I did up until COVID came out with the lockdowns and the mandatory jab, and then I became more militant then. But I understood something about that, and I'd learned, um, I learned ultimately what it's going to come down to when you're actually fighting the banker. Um, these people are devil worshippers who shoot to kill policies. Um, it doesn't matter how much you protest. Uh, they're just able to control physically because you don't have guns, you don't have riot police, etc., police forces. Um, and we did try and get in there with JCB tractors as well to move the police vans. Um, but they just arrested the drivers and pulled them out of JCBs. So it, ultimately, I came to the conclusion that the cities are a hopeless cause. The cities themselves are run by money and the people, I mean, that required a mass action. You probably need millions of people like you had with the poll tax riots if you wanted to pull off an action like that and, and take down the Bank of England. But I was one of the few people who actually got in on the front line, the very first people into the bank. 
Um, but I was one of only 50 people who escaped that day. And I had a helicopter following me around London. Um, and we, we managed to fight our way through the riot police in one particular section just as they closed the kettle. Um, so only 50 people got away and the rest got kettled, arrested, searched. Uh, and I guess the ringleaders have been taken out. So I, I did do a lot of actions in, at that point. Um, but I, I became... I didn't think that you could... I didn't think there was going to be a political solution. And I saw the writing on the wall then for a political solution. Because why would a devil worshipper play viola roles? They're not going to like obey their end of the bargain. They're just evil people who will sell you anything and tell you anything you want to hear, as long as you believe it. Um, and they call that power. So I, I kind of um, was doing my own thing, really, and I, I, I went back to work. Just a, a normal worker, and I was a, a chess teacher. Uh, I taught for uh, just under three years as a, a chess teacher, full time, and, and I loved that job. It was a great job, but I was getting more and more hassle off uh, the police at the time. So when I go travelling, I'd have no hassle going abroad. But when I came back again, I'd have machine guns put up my nose, and the Counter Terrorism Act 2000 apparently, or something passed by Tony Blair. Every time I go through there, it was, it was touch and go. If I put my hand in my pocket, they'd have shot me. Asking me whether I had my phone in my pocket or my wallet. So, pro tip, keep your hands to your sides so you see your palms. And they will knock off people like me, create instance, use it. So, don't trust them. Even with guns, don't trust them. Um, and this was coming back from uh, Holland at the time, in Dover. And then a couple of weeks later, and this was in 2010 when this happened, because um, I think he asked me whether I was buying and selling passports. <clears throat> um, I was like, all the time, pal. Yeah, I says, I'm from Yorkshire. Do you mind going on? And um, I'd even paid like 120 quid for a new passport as well. So I've gone through the whole bureaucracy only to have machine guns put in my face and accused of being a criminal. And if I didn't answer their answers, I'd be classed as a terrorist for not answering all their quite invasive questions, by the way, under the Counterterrorism Act. And this led to um, a few weeks, I think it was about two weeks later, MI5 turning up at my house. I think it was 10 in the morning. I just, uh, I was about to go to work. And they wanted to ask what had gone on down passport control in Dover when I got back home. Uh, and I told them what's gone on. And I said, um, bottom line is you gave me loads of hassle. I didn't do anything. I paid my passport legitimately. And you've been really aggressive and accusative, accused me of false crimes. And I said, I don't think you're a prosecutor or anything like that. I was just trying to get through passport control. And um, you've been really aggressive with me to a point of weapons. And I said, bottom line is... You lot, I've had a coup d'etat. You work for Lord Rothschild. And I said about 9-11 to their faces. And one of them was a Jew from London. And a London uh, lo another one was like a local white boy from a local division. And the local white boy, who was a clueless cunt, he, he didn't know that 9-11 was done by Mossad, by controlled demolitions. But the MI5 Jew from London, he did. 
And they just wanted to know whether I was a danger or not. And I said, well, you know, I'm a teacher, I've got an enhanced CIB, you know, I've worked all my life, and here you are being terrorists. There was no weapons of mass destruction. Um, those Twin Towers have been destroyed by Mossad, and you're running around fighting for Israel, uh, rather ostensibly for your own country. Um, and I said, if it was any of my brothers on a mark slab, what do you think I'm going to do? And I said, if he's one of your brothers and you're that slab, what, what are you going to do? What are they dying for? And the truth is, Scorpio, I knew then they were dying for the bankers. That's why I'm so militant about this all. But very few people are. I mean, we can go and talk as a, as a, a side topic there. But the point is, at that time, um, I knew they were dying for a scam, essentially a financial scam, a gravy train a spigot of money that had been turned on for all the white countries to be invaded and for those white people to defend Israel's borders. That was the plan for the Middle East, the project for the newest American century for the next 10 years, or 20 years, when we see them pull out of Afghanistan. Uh, oh, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. uh, Steve. And we're almost at the uh, break here. Um, Interesting story about what happened uh, just from simply publishing information on the Internet. And it, it kind of brings me to another topic. And we'll get to that after the break. Consider this. Dead people see only what they want to see. And frankly, most of us are still dead. Let me give you the lessons of gold and five easy lessons. Number one, don't buy it because you need to make money. You buy gold because you need to protect the money you already have. Don't ever look at the price as a barrier. Look at it as an incentive. Number three, don't buy its paper pretenders. We talked about that a lot. Buy gold. Buy the real thing in the form of coins and bullion. Fourth, don't fall prey to glitzy television or Facebook ads. Do your due diligence instead. And that's what I try to provide you with and have for 26 and a half years on the air and 30 years in this profession. Fifth, don't allow naysayers to divert your interest. Allow yourself the right to protect your interests as you see fit. Jeff Bennett here. One of the ways you can do that is to contact Kettle Moraine Limited. Contact me by calling or texting me at 602-799-8214. 602-799-8214. You can also email me at KettleMoraineLTD at Cox.net. Let me help you protect your wealth and your family today. Once again, call or text us at 602-799-8214 or visit our website, SierraMadrePreciousMetals.com. Be glad to help you out. Be glad to answer your questions. That's what we're here for. No pressure. Just good, hard, common sense. The decision then becomes up to you.
are back. We are in a in a Gata Davida back, guys, and we're here with uh, UK Steve, Steve from UK, a guy I've known since about 2008, and a really interesting story about the aftermath of simply publishing information. Of course, you you hit uh, a nerve with that one. You know, obviously publishing the names of and the treasures of all the uh, most powerful bankers in the world. But it's an amazing uh, thing you did, really. And I, I know you want to get to some other stuff, but uh, I think you really gave a good description of, you know, the outline of the plan for the Western world. And I was curious, since you're in England, what what is your, have you been following what's happening with Julian Assange? And I guess he's about to go back um, on trial to see if he's going to be extradited to the United States. What's your take on him and what's happening with all that? Um, ultimately, the question is, why didn't Assange come out against Israel from the off? So I never really trusted Assange. He was backed by the bourgeois elite. Um, maybe it's the middle class wondering about their own freedom of speech, possibly. Um, but ultimately, it was about Israel and Mossad and Julian Assange's connections or whether how deep they were. I mean, he's done a lot of prison time, for sure. Um, but is he against Judaism and the Jews? And was he from that from the off? What was WikiLeaks started as? It started as a website that had government-grade encryption uh, where you could provide a leak, and I guess he would filter it, um, and it'd be published online. So it started off as a whistleblowing site. And then the leaks became more and more potent, I think that's when the bandwagon came on. But ultimately, you can just release leaks on BitTorrent. Uh, even uh, Julian Assange did that. He had a, f- a file called Insurance, which he um, released on BitTorrent. I remember back then. I don't know if it's still going. It was an AE5 encryption. Um, and I offered one of the insurance policy was, whether that was to do with um, Israel. And um, we look at the email leaks uh, from Hillary Clinton and the DNC server, and we can see the links between Hillary Clinton and Lady de Rothschild and how they were trying to essentially uh, fudge that election. And Lady de Rothschild said, you led a very arrogant campaign. And I actually think that the Rothschilds put Trump into power and that they lied to Hillary. That's my personal theory on that. Um, <clears throat> kind of backing both sides and then at the last minute becoming the kingmaker with Trump. And that's why we have Trump is because of Jacob Rothschild who's currently handing over the reins of power. Well, I I think that's a very, yeah, that's interesting theory. I I think it's very possible. Absolutely. Uh, And I've always been kind of on the fence about Julian Assange as well, Uh, but he certainly embarrassed some powerful people. And uh, it seemed like he was sort of functioning as a a quasi-intelligence agency that wasn't under the proper directorate, possibly, uh, but it, it is interesting that he got kicked out of the embassy in Ecuador. I was down there at the time. He got kicked out of the embassy right after the Ecuadorian government signed a $4.6 billion loan with the IMF, the International Monetary Fund. And clearly one of the secret conditions of that loan was to kick Julian Assange out of the embassy. Absolutely. 
We see also with Argentina as well uh, and the IMF, and they're trying to secure new loans for Argentina. I believe they did it and succeeded. Um, the IMF essentially is a, a bribery institution. So they destroy whole economies with the US dollar. And then in order to get these piecemeal handouts uh, for monetized dollars via these global institutions like the IMF, and they have to essentially, uh, the bankers can do deals, can buy political favors, I guess. It's a clearinghouse for political favor, these uh, handouts to countries. And absolutely, I think that's the, why, why do they hate Kareem Assange? Because he's the symbol of the whistleblower and the dissident. He's the kosher symbol of the dissident. Um, he's not like me or you, where we name the enemy. Yes. Okay, we're at the break. We'll be right back, guys. You are tuned in to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Visit our website by going to republicbroadcasting.org. Tahibo Tea Club's original Pure Pouty Arco Super Tea comes from the only tree in the world that fungus does not grow on. As a result, it naturally has antifungal, anti-infection, antiviral, antibacterial, anti-inflammation, and anti-parasite properties. So the tea is great for healthy people because it helps build the immune system, and it can truly be miraculous for someone fighting a potentially life-threatening disease due to an infection, diabetes, or cancer. The tea is also organic and naturally caffeine-free. A one-pound package of tea is $49.95, which includes shipping. To order, please visit drinksupertea.com. The first word is drink, spelled D-R-I-N-K, then the word super, then the word tea. The complete website is drinksupertea.com. Or call us at 818-965-9113, Monday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. California time. That's 818-965-9113, drinksupertea.com. Homeowners, if your lender has gone out of business or sold your transaction to another lender or servicer, you may be the victim of a wrongful foreclosure resulting in the loss of your home. If you've already lost your home, are in foreclosure, or even in good standing, you can challenge the mortgage transaction's illegal issue and your property can be restored to you, and your foreclosure can be stopped or reversed and the mortgage transaction declared unenforceable. State laws, U.S. title codes, the Uniform Commercial Codes, and U.S. Supreme Court rulings have upheld that defective mortgage documentations can reverse or stop foreclosures and enforce property title claims in favor of the homeowner. We are having successes in stopping the process of foreclosure, the enforcement of the foreclosure judgments, the sale of property, and evictions after the sale. We are not attorneys, and we don't give legal advice. We are a professional team of legal researchers, providing forensic mortgage audits and expert witnesses. We have the knowledge to produce the evidence and enforce laws regarding your legal issues. We've been in business for 12 years without a complaint. Consultations are free, and we provide a free title search to confirm if your mortgage has legal defects. Email tom at republicbroadcasting.org. T-O-M at republicbroadcasting.org. 
Hey there, are you going to wait till the cows come home to get your new ease-off drop-in lift? What in the world is an ease-off drop-in lift? Our ease-off is a new tool to increase production for your meat processing company that will get that whole hog or half a beef on or off your rail with our remote control. That sounds great, but can I afford it? Sure, and the ease-off installs fast. The effortless operation will reduce fatigue, speed up your line, and increase profits. Okay, I'm convinced. Where can I get my ease-off? Go to easeoff.com. That's E-A-Z-E-O-F-F.com. And hurry, because we're offering free shipping for a limited time. Easeoff.com. We make pigs fly cows too. Ease off LLC that the new world world order needs to grow organically throughout all these uh, independent countries that are taking these IMF laws and compromising their sovereignty. Um, So rather than representing their constituents, the people who make up uh, the voters, the people in power (coughs) have been poisoned and corrupted by the money, so they don't fight and pass policies that are in the interests of the voters. Um, they become compromised in the range of policies that they're allowed to select. Um, And in narrowing that range, they're given money by these international organizations. And this is why we're seeing like the prison planet um, construction appear. There's a policeman, a taxman and a bureaucrat in every nation you're going to, um, where they're changing the gods, changing the language, and then they end up changing your money. Um. And I think this it is the IMF is the tool used to construct the new world order. And what I want to get across to the uh, I'm here. I'm not hearing Steve, though. I'm not hearing Steve, though. Okay. Okay, maybe uh, should we reconnect him? 
Okay. 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 It looks like we've temporarily lost uh, Steve here. Clearly, he was getting too close to the truth. Uh, but, but seriously, uh, uh, we're kind of cutting to the core of the mechanics of how this covert control actually works, boots on the ground uh, with countries, and how they got them to pull off the whole COVID charade using loan documents. And Hello. Uh, it doesn't in there. Are you back, yeah. Steve? Yes. Can you hear me? Yes, yes. You dropped off. You're clearly too close to the truth. Um, why don't you just back up a little bit and um, continue with your thoughts on, on the IMF as a bribery institution and a, and a means of control? I think it's very apt. Yes, it is a means of control. Basically, the IMF is the tool used to construct the new world order. But the motivation is to get people to use the Federal Reserve notes worldwide. So all the, all the money issued by the IMF, all the UN, all these aid programs, all these NGOs, they're all using U.S. dollars primarily. There's a few euros, I guess, but vastly it's about the U.S. dollar and the Federal Reserve note. So they want everybody to be cannibalized or everybody to use black market U.S. dollars as the global safety trade. Um, and they want to do this in the worst economic conditions possible. Um, and as a result, if they do that, by the way, and the chickens come home to roost and we have hyperinflation, everybody who's holding U.S. dollars will essentially find their purchasing value stolen. And this is the big scam. But the primary motivation is to get the whole world to use the Federal Reserve notes. And there are other, I guess, financial cartels that don't particularly want that, like the Juan or the Ruble whatever cartels behind those. Um, they all work with each other. But ultimately, they're, they're standing on a money financial printing press uh, with nuclear weapons. That's what actually protects a, a, a financial printing press, where you can print as much money as you want. So you have to remember that. It's about constructing a new world order, the IMF, passing pro-gay policies, for example, transgender policies, for example, as a litmus test as to whether they're corrupt whether the economic hitmen can move in for more, like sharks. And they'll do this and essentially transmogrify the, all these countries using the U.S. dollar eventually. Um, they'll have to use it or the countries will collapse. And that's when I think you will see the rise of the transnationals and the Jewish megastate. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Well, uh, I, I guess uh, Sam got a directive from the CIA to interrupt your uh, your information there. No, just kidding. But uh, um, yeah, I think you're really hitting on something very important. And the other reason too, they want to have the, the dollar used worldwide or as much as possible is to spread inflation around the world, so it's not as noticeable, at least in the short term, and. Um, we look at what's happening in Argentina. Uh, this uh, Javier Miley uh, guy uh, wants to bring Argentina onto the U.S. dollar. And what's the very first thing this guy does after he gets elected? He goes and visits Rabbi Schneerson's grave in Queens, New York, uh, to meet with all the crazy uh, rabbis associated with this bizarre cult within Judaism. 
Yeah, um, let's talk some numbers. So, um, shadow stats. I use I use shadow stats. I use the usdeckclock.org. Um, really good websites, and you can see at a glance a story and a narrative. It's almost like a banker's playbook when you look at it. Um, and at the moment, unemployment, for example, shadow stats is saying that unemployment um, is around. Let me bring up my notes. Um, twenty-five percent. That's an enormous rate on shadow stats. So they're saying that twenty-five uh, percent of people are unemployed. Now, when you go to the usdebtclock.org, it actually tells you how many workers are in the workforce and how many are not actually in employment. Um, and it says is the workforce now is 161 million people out of their total population. Um, the people who are not in the labour force is 100 million. So there's 100 million people who are not working in America. They're not producing any surplus value whatsoever. Um, so there's, there's fewer and fewer workers not only having to pay for everybody else, but the interest, uh, the, the expensiveness of interest at the moment is four times what it was in 1980. So in 1980, the debt to GDP was 34%. Now, in America, it's 123%, which means that lending money becomes more expensive. Um, and because you're more and more in debt, we're now $34.343 trillion is the U.S. national debt. That's $265,000 per worker, taxpayer, it says here. These are phenomenal figures. Um, the wage differential is 500 to 1 with the top 1% with the bottom 50%. 500 to 1. What person is worth 500 times a normal worker at the bottom doing an essential job, toilet cleaning maybe? 500 times. Um, and it tells a story, so I think it's important to understand when you look at the U.S. debt clock what that story is. And underneath it says the the bank interest received at the moment is nine hundred and twenty six billion so far this year, and I'm presuming that goes up to April first tax year. So the bankers are receiving a trillion dollars a year in interest payments alone. Um, I, I will say this in terms of foreign debt. Um, it's about eight trillion dollars is held in a foreign debt, and there's a increasing de-dollarization process at the moment. Uh, I think the latest stat I heard is 59 percent of the world's volume of money is priced in dollars, and that was down from 65. Um, that is going to be an ongoing process. We've seen Egypt joining BRICS now and has abandoned the dollar. Iran and Saudi Arabia have joined BRICS, and they're major oil producers. Um, and soon, everybody's going to be abandoning the dollar for precisely the reason you've discussed, Scorpio. They're wanting to export the inflation. They'll buy anything not nailed down. They're buying up the whole UK right now. BlackRock, Vanguard, all frontmen for the Fed. Are you there, Steve? You've cut off. Looks like we lost Steve. But 
course, as soon as you mentioned uh, BlackRock and Vanguard, he gets cut off. But look, these companies are worth trillions now, which is really unheard of to have a company worth trillions of dollars. And these are just front companies for the cabal. And as I've been saying for some years now, the assets of the world are in far fewer hands than we've been told. The game is in much fewer hands than we've, we've thought in the past. And we're seeing this actually start to come out in the open now. Steve, are you back with us? Okay, we're going to get Steve back on. Clearly, he's too close to the truth. But this is actually really uh, amazing information. And uh, I believe that uh, this whole BRICS thing is part of the, the power pivot to the East that's been in play for a very long time. And this has been planned yeah. and enacted. Uh, this power pivot to the east. Steve, are you back here with us, sir? Yes. Can you hear me clearly? Yes, I can. And, you know, of course, as soon as you mentioned BlackRock and Vanguard, you, you dropped off. Uh, no cause for alarm there. But I was saying when you're off air that, you know, these companies are valued at the trillions of dollars, which is completely unheard of. And these are clearly front companies for the cabal uh, that, that um, are doing the work of the cabal and as disguised as regular companies. I think there's a plan, Scorpio, to have the world's largest heist ever. And then after that heist, they want to build the Jewish megastate, which will have Jerusalem and the rebuilt Third Temple as its center. And if they can't get that, if they lose that, it will be Odessa. So there's some debate there. But they will, they will have a Jewish megastate with... Uh, Zion at its center. They will rebuild their temple and sacrifice the red heifers. And then they will declare, if they become the world's sole issuer of money and a digital CBC, CBDC currency, the digital dollar, they will appoint, uh, I'm sorry, they will announce the Moshiach, the anointed one. And that will be like the fulfillment of their prophecy, which they get to define a whole epoch. Um, yes. the fulfillment of the project for a new American century. That, that's interesting, uh, Steve. Um, you know, I've been saying since the beginning of this war in Ukraine that this is designed to be sort of a backup Israel of Israel 2.0. And clearly that's what's playing out. People are so focused on what side is winning the war, and it's not really about that. It's about emptying the country out, killing as many people as possible, destroying as much as possible so so they can be rebuilt in a new image and it, it, I, I do believe that Odessa is sort of a backup spot uh, for Jerusalem. Odessa will right? run the east and Jerusalem will run the west yes yes and how would you how do you see them possibly rebuilding the, the temple uh I mean, to try to destroy the Alaska Mosque seem, yep. would seem to be so inflammatory, it'd be difficult to pull off. Do, do you see that happening, or do you think the uh, the idea that they move it to Odessa is more plausible? I think um, 
what's we I mean how do we touch on this without talking about Gaza um I think in order for them to cover up the genocide going on in Gaza and the destruction of the Palestinians in Gaza and the West Bank, um, I think they're going to try and smokescreen it with more genocides in the Middle East. I don't think it's over uh, for the Middle East. I think the main target they have is Iran, because if they take Iran out and cut its supply routes, hence the U.S. blockade in Iraq of Iranian assets moving into Syria, and then from Syria along the Shia Crescent into Lebanon, where you can then apply pressure to the borders of Israel. Um, we're, we're seeing a macro picture of that dynamic play out of a constricting Shia Crescent around the borders of Israel, making it an unviable state. And one such uh, examples of this are the Houthis in Yemen, where they've made the Suez Canal unnavigable for pro-Israel assets. Now, Israel are getting around this by shipping their goods to India, from India to United Arab Emirates, from the United Arab Emirates to Jordan, and from Jordan they're sneaking them in across the border right now. That's how Israel's bypassing uh, Suez. But if you're like British uh, at the moment, they're getting all their ships one after another just being hit every single day. I'm seeing it on Telegram. I'm watching how many British ships are getting hit and sunk. Um, and obviously, the uh, insurance goes up. You're having to go around South Africa at this point. There's perishable goods who can no longer make it through. Um, so you can't eat a television. Um, there's certain consequences to not having Suez Canal traffic. Um, tourism is down by 30% in Israel right now. And it's uh, quite a, a large economy based upon foreigners coming in. Over brainwashed uh, tourists. Um, or I guess business coming in of U.S. assets, be, sorry, Israeli assets being sold abroad, like their weapons systems that they're dealing to the Azerbaijanis right now, like the deals they're doing with Morocco, uh, which has pissed off Algeria. Um, I, I sometimes I, I think, why on earth would you do a deal with them? And it comes back to the same answer: money. They've managed to buy the conscience of men above their own people, family, and God. And I think the world's going to polarise between two types of people, Scorpio. Those who are run by money, bought by money, and the social conditioning that's been paid for by money. And those who've stayed loyal to their ethnicity, to their family, and to God. Simple as that. Um, and you find that one's dishonest, and the more money you have, the more dishonest you are. Yeah. Yeah, I, Steve, I think that's brilliant. Uh, I think you're spot on. I, I think that's already in play, that we're seeing the beginnings of, of that separation now. And I also agree with you that they want to try to further inflame the area as a smokescreen for the genocide that's ongoing. And, of course, now they're planning on moving into Rafa, the safe zone, uh, you know, um, at the beginning of Ramadan. If all the hostages aren't back, and I don't even believe there's nearly as many hostages as they've said if there's any at all i don't believe that narrative one bit but you're going to see the worst part of this genocide coming up if they really do move into rafa it's going to be just shooting people in the streets uh like fish in a barrel it's going to be the most sick and disgusting event i believe we've ever lived through if it actually happens 
And it's coming, and it will all be to steal the oil and gold. It will be just to steal resources to inject value into the U.S. dollar. It's hemorrhaging value right now. Um, and the assets and collateral in America, which are supposed to back the U.S. dollar, are they themselves going down in value. So you end up having more, more debt but less collateral, and lending's more expensive. In a, an inverted yield curve in a recession about to become the world's greatest depression. Um, and you're being, they're wanting us now to have conscription and to be sent to the Eastern Front in the UK. And now they're talking about having to have a draft in America now because there's not enough pensioners to fight. They've been offering pensioners $75,000 to go fight in Ukraine and actually train people on these older weapons systems because nobody knows how to fight anymore. Nobody wants to go fight against the Russians. They're a superior firepower force there. Um, so they're saying now that we have to, it's inevitable now today that we should have conscription. And Latvia was advising the UK today, the Latvian foreign minister, that we should have mandatory conscription in the UK so we can absorb casualties with a citizen's army. Yeah, this is well, I, I think if, if they try to do a conscription, it'll be a massive... Uh, failure on multiple fronts. A lot of people simply won't do it, and they feminize the younger generation to the extent where I don't think they're going to go along with it. Uh, but yeah, they are getting desperate, and I think you made a great point about needing to collateralize the dollar with additional assets to prop it up. Uh, that's definitely in play, and I've not heard anyone else put it that way. I think I think that's a very good description of of part of the motivation what's going on right now but uh we're, we're coming close to the close of the hour and before we hit the the end of the show i really want to ask you what role since you're from england and all what role do you think the city of london plays in this web of banking and control um the the pound is quite small in the sense of it is a I think it's only 5% of the world's volume of money. Um, the value of a pound is for laundering money. So what London's good for is the insurance sector, legal services, they export a lot of legal services like arbitration, um, um, and they launder hideous amounts of drug money, banks like HSBC. Um, and I guess also the shipping and insurance now with the Suez Canal, that's highly relevant for them. Um, they are at the moment securing the airspaces of Romania, Bulgaria and Estonia at the UK taxpayer expense. We can't even secure our own airspace. And here we are financing theirs. So they realize that they have to lead. They have to have a world war because they're going to be eaten first is the pound. And that's why we're seeing the pound. Uh, sorry, the the. the the, the Bank of uh, Bank of England in London leading the charge against the Russians because they've got no other choice. They need World War Three. Um, the dollar would much prefer the pound to go down, uh, the euro system to go down, and then they start purchasing those assets for cents on the dollar. That's what the American plan is to cannibalize them. Uh, so what the British are gunning for is World War Three, but they haven't got the manpower, they haven't got the equipment. Um, and at the end of the day, they're going to lose control in this country to immigrants and things are going to break down and we're going to suffer a, a massive decline in this country. Um, it's going to become Hutus and Tutsis. Um, and at the end of the day, it's Rothschild's backyard. He has his mansions here 
And Spencer House is his operations HQ. If people want to know where Alexander Rothschild is running LM Consultancy. So I'm Spencer House. Um, great target. But ultimately, um, I don't think the British are that significant beyond the nuclear weapons, which the other day they couldn't even fire them from the submarine without it malfunctioning. It almost hit the submarine, a nuclear missile. Cork screwed around, around, around and landed a couple of hundred feet away. Almost... Um, took the submarine out so i think uh, the the british navy is a joke i think the british uh, army is a joke um i think they're delusional people who've been told what to say by the bankers who don't live here they live in british offshore havens tax havens and in america um there's 120 million british passport holders but there's only 70 million people who live on the island so where are these 50 other million passport holders where are they all living <clears throat> their transnational family offices, which have merged into this neoliberal uh, world Jewish empire by taking the coin and removing their morality, that's how they're able to commit evil on various different degrees until you reach the Epsteins of this world. Um, but it's the cashing in on the Goyim. The Goyim are the real target because they're trying to sell the dollar to the Goyim, wherever the Goyim are. It's about selling the dollar to them. Well, Steve, we have come to the end of the show, and I want to thank you for coming on, and I uh, hope I can have you back on soon. We just scratched the surface. There's so much more. Uh, thanks again for coming on, Steve, and let's have you back on soon. Thank you, Smoker. Thank you, Abian. All right. Thank you. You guys, everyone have a good night, and until next week, bye-bye. Cheap hotels and beer on the Lone Highway. Trust anyone on the Lone Highway, on the Lone Highway, on the Lone Highway. People who feel like there is a dark cloud hanging over their heads whenever they're using pharmaceutical drugs. For some, the short-term relief can turn into an opioid addiction nightmare. Have you ever wondered why CBD oil is a billion-dollar industry? It's because it works better than opioids and is actually healthy for you. However, CBD oil is stripped of all other helpful compounds found in the hemp plant. According to neuroscientists, the whole hemp plant, otherwise known as hemp paste, is even more effective than the chemically processed CBD oil. Are you ready to take back your health? You can try hemp paste for the price of a cup of coffee. Hemppaste.com slash RBN. 
free shipping on orders over $50. See the banners for Hemp Paste at republicbroadcasting.org and visit hemppaste.com slash RBN. This is RBN, the Republic Broadcasting Network. 